the Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book, and you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and on today's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by Kevin O'Brien from Marsh, the big insurance company, and he's leading up their efforts of bringing insurance to the cannabis industry all across the U.S. Kevin, I'm excited to chat with you. I know very little about insurance, and so I'm sure I'm going to learn some stuff today. Uh, welcome to the show. And if you don't mind, can you just do a more in-depth intro for the folks watching or listening? Sure. Thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm with Marsh McLennan, global insurance uh, risk management conglomerate. Um, you know, we've got about 60,000 employees around the world, 110 countries. It's a large organization. Uh, and I work uh, out of the Portland, Oregon office as a business development and producer which is fancy work for a sales guy. Um, but I also have taken on the role of uh, leading the efforts in the cannabis uh, space um, for Marsh in the US um, as it's just a, you know, a, a hot area with you know, a lot of insurance needs. Um, so I work uh, closely with our Canadian team who has a fully you know, baked team um, to uh, help uh, you know, US-based companies with their insurance needs. Awesome. So then uh, I'm, I'm hearing that the U.S. team might be half-baked if the Canadian team is fully baked. <laughs> you can tell me after the end of the uh, podcast because it's mostly me. Nice. Uh, <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you about your background and experience prior to getting into cannabis because I know you've, you did a bunch of interesting things in the finance world domestically and abroad. So I'd love to hear a little more about that. Sure. Uh, so uh, I started my career actually in the insurance business. I was a commercial DNO underwriter, which means directors and officers liability underwriter, uh, directors and officers liability insurance is uh, insurance policies to cover the personal assets of the executives and board members at a company. Um, so particularly with public companies, if you know, you know, CFOs cooking the books, stock drops, shareholders sue, they name the company, they name the individuals, and there's insurance policies that cover the, uh, the you know, the personal assets of the executives in the case of uh, a claim where the, uh, the coverage isn't afforded by the company's insurance to the personal uh, assets of the company, so, or of the uh, individuals. So, uh, that's that's what DNO is. So I started my career in the insurance biz with Gulf Insurance, a uh, smaller company, uh, but Marsh was actually one of my primary brokers. So I've been kind of involved with Marsh for a long time. Uh, after that, I left. Uh, I went and kind of chased the Wall Street dream for a while, and uh, I started uh, working on the sales desk uh, as a trader and an assistant, and then. Um, you know, learned Wall Street, you know, from the trading desk perspective in the midst of the financial crisis, which was a real interesting, you know, learning experience because it was like every day there was like some kind of new calamity and uh, a lot of clients going out of business, you know, trying to trade out of, you know, terrible positions. Uh, 
it was a it was a learning experience. But um, I I got you know the background for what I needed in terms of you know being a salesperson, you know being like a you know a business development representative um, in that capacity. So I moved on from the traditional kind of broker dealer model to independent companies that were providing research to hedge funds and mutual funds for you know, uh, for compensation from their commission pool. So essentially my, um, you know, my company, so, so for about, you know, 12 years or so I did, uh, I was selling uh, data and analytics research to hedge funds and mutual funds, primarily on publicly traded Chinese companies like Alibaba and Baidu and Ctrip and Tencent, all the major uh, China e-commerce uh, and internet companies. So essentially what we would do is uh, we would write programs uh, on these companies, uh, on these companies' websites and acquire data from, you know, multiple different sources and package it in a way that a hedge fund could use it to, you know, have intelligence ahead of like the publicly reported, you know, metrics. Like, so, uh, you know, a company reports their quarterly earnings, you know, for Q1 in April, right? But, uh, or maybe the end of April, but, you know, the companies that I was working with would have quarterly data before that, you know, public, uh, you know, that public filing of earnings. And it was all kind of legal and above board. It was just because it was independent research. Um, so they would use that to position themselves strategically ahead of the market. So it was like a, a premium intelligence product for hedge funds and mutual funds who were very serious about the China market. And uh, so I did that for a while with a few different companies and I moved over to uh, Hong Kong uh, for a year, lived over there and was traveling in Asia, you know, sometimes seven or eight times a year for, you know, about five or six years. So I was very busy over there for a while, but, you know, started, you know, markets for, you know, a couple of different companies over there in Hong Kong. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the business changed a lot in the last few years. So it became, you know, more highly regulated and the commission pool started to shrink. And as kind of an aging sales guy, I was looking for something a little bit different something a little bit more stable and, um, you know, the old reliable insurance industry, you know, pop back up to me out here in Portland. And, uh, you know, I took the opportunity with Marsh to kind of transition back into the insurance business. And, and since then, it's been really exciting because uh, generally it can be a little bit of a, you know, a boring business, but cannabis has made it really exciting for me. So, uh, when I started at Marsh, there wasn't really anyone, we had a couple clients, you know, but they were like, you know, we, they were clients that got into the business after, you know, or, you know, it wasn't like there was anyone driving that part of our, our of business at the organization. So what I did is said, hey, my first client is cannabis. I had to figure out how to make it work. And I was running into a lot of problems. So I was basically problem solving, you know, the cannabis issue internally at Marsh in order to service my clients. So I kind of have mapped out and connected through a lot of people internally. And then now it's just kind of blossomed into something totally different where I've been spending all my time on it. Uh, and I've developed, you know, the kind of infrastructure that, that Marsh can kind of build on over time, um, you know, to be a serious player in this industry. And, um, you know, we have great relationships in place and, uh, you know, we're continuing to build what we do. And I think over the next couple of months, we're going to have something a little bit more formal to be more competitive in this marketplace because, you know, this is a, 
$30 billion, going to be $80 billion business really soon. And I think there's, you know, there's been some reticence at the higher level at Marsh to kind of jump into this business because it's federally illegal and we're a large company with exposures, you know, across the world. And I think uh, we've kind of taken the pragmatic approach of slow um, as, as an organization uh, versus jumping in like some of the other competitors in the marketplace. And, um, you know, as we do that, you know, we're kind of, there's an old Chinese proverb. It says, you feel your, feel the stones in the river with your feet as you cross, you know, you kind of like, one little step at a time. And that's kind of how I think we're taking it. Um, but, you know, over time, Marsh tends to get things right. And, um, you know, I think uh, in the next couple of months, we'll, we'll be expanding what we're doing. So it's uh, exciting. Awesome. So let me ask you, what are some of the nuances or challenges that you've encountered in cannabis, bringing insurance to the, to the industry? Or yeah, what, what's something, some unexpected uh, stones that you had to walk over? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the biggest impediment in the industry is um, the lack of capital. And by capital, I mean insurance capital and insurance companies that are providing coverage. So that's referred to as capital. So there's not a lot of money in the cannabis business because insurance companies haven't been able to dedicate the capital to it because of the federal regulation, right? The lack of a federal regulation. So technically it's illegal, you know, it's a schedule one drug and insurance companies, you know, in some cases they can't, even if they were to provide the coverage and they got the premium back, the payment from the company, they wouldn't be able to put that in the bank because it's, you know, ill-gotten, you know, ill-gotten, you know, monies. But uh, so there's a lack of uh, insurance capital in the marketplace broadly which makes it difficult for insurance, you know, for insurance uh, or insureds, you know, cannabis companies to find insurance because they're stuck with a very few options, right? So if I'm a publicly traded, you know, cannabis company uh, and I need DNO insurance, which is the most, you know, important but most expensive insurance for a public company, you know, you're usually getting it, you have a choice of like one or two uh, primary insurance carriers, one or two, maybe three, if you're lucky. Um, whereas if you were, a, you know, a coffee company, you would have dozens of options, right? So a lot of these companies are stuck with a handful of options because there hasn't been enough insurance company participation because the, you know, the kind of worry over the potential federal backlash, um, you know, from, you know, dealing with an illicit, technically illegal commodity. So that's kind of how like the broadly, you know, broadly speaking, the biggest problem with insurance. And if you talk to, you know, guys that are managing money, uh, guys that are investing in companies, I think they'll, they'll say that the biggest issues in the cannabis industry right now are one, banking. You know, everybody knows about banking and the lack of account, you know, the, the lack of, you know, options for finding accounts and, um, you know, getting loans and, you know, title insurance, you name it. Like there's just, you know, so many things that don't exist in the same way to cannabis companies that they do to other. But the number two for a lot of people tends to be insurance uh, because it's a prohibitive cost in their business model that's unsustainable, you know, to give you an idea of like what that means. So if, 
you know, if you're generally like apples, it's kind of apples to oranges. So if you're a, you know, a startup, you know, Apple store, you know, like a fruit store and you want to get, you know, insurance, property insurance, you know, product insurance, slip and fall insurance. I mean, you're all in cost, you know, you're probably talking a few grand, maybe five grand for like an annual, you know, spend on insurance. If you're a retail operation selling cannabis, you know, you're talking 50, 100 grand, maybe 100 to 150 grand. So it's not like $100,000 is a lot of money for a business to spend, but the delta between like normal and what is available is it's a pretty wide gap. And you know, you find people, you find insurance companies constantly like, yeah, we can't touch it. Anything with cannabis, we can't touch. If it's related to cannabis, we can't touch it. If they're selling to the cannabis industry, we can't touch it. If they're taking money from the cannabis. So there's still a lot of reticence from insurance companies broadly to provide insurance. And that provides a tight marketplace, which, you know, creates a, you know, an inflated pricing environment. Gotcha. Wow. That is quite a wide gap. I'm curious to ask about product liability insurance and crop insurance, because I imagine that's something that comes up often. And I'm curious how that works. Yeah. Um, so product liability insurance, I'll start with product liability and I'll come back to crop. Uh, you know, product liability insurance is a big deal. I mean, like that's kind of the area where and actually, it you know by and large it isn't as expensive as some of the other policies as you as you might you know might think. Um, they're still able to acquire that for a relative, in my opinion, a way too low of a price actually for the amount of risk. Because what the product liability is doing is basically you know I have a say I have a CBD beverage product and I want to insure my company and I'm getting product insurance for this you know beverage. Um, you know, you have to provide information on all of like the process and the ingredients, labels for every product that you have on the shelf, um, you know, a full, you know, there's a whole, there's a 20 page application of, of insurance information that they have to fill out. So they're getting a full picture of it. Um, but product liability is actually one area where I think it's, you know, still, it's actually surprisingly available and affordable in the in the in the complex it wouldn't be consistent with what i had said before in terms of the gap i mean you know a small company that's maybe selling you know a couple million dollars a year for you know of a beverage you know might pay 20 grand 25 grand insurance it's still it's still a lot you know it's still prohibitive for a lot of people but it's not 125 grand and i think uh what you know, what drives this is kind of perception around like claims and what are people suing for? Like, why do I, you know, how much am I going to charge for this? And like, what's my exposure? Like, you know, people will, you know, let me give you an example of like a product liability claim. You know, I, you know, take this CBD product, you know, as a supplement every day for six months and I rely on it. It's like a vitamin to me. And then you know, and then I go to get a job interview six months later and I, you know, fail a drug test and says I have like THC in my system. Someone could sue them and say, hey, I've been taking this product and I, you know, I'm not taking any other THC's product, but there's T, there must be THC in this. All of a sudden there's like batch recall, you know, claim, you know, will, you know, kind of disrupt their process of, of manufacturing beverages and it'll, it'll create an environment where they have to respond 
as a company to you know what happened there and what the potential. So there is exposure there where someone can make that claim. You know, another thing is like you know an OD like of some kind or you know ingredients. It's mostly ingredients that aren't supposed to be in the product that end up in the product that have been driving like the kind of claims uh, you know recently. But you know, I think the uh, the issue is, is there's not a lot of history, and that's one of the problems that insurance companies, you know, broadly have had with this industry is that they rely insurance companies rely on you know actuarial models, their bean counters, and you know they're looking at you know potential you know claim scenarios out multiple years. If we, you know, it, it's not it's not designed for kind of new and emerging industries. So generally at the front end of it, it tends to be inefficient because there's a lack of information and data, right? So the we don't have 10 years of claim information on cannabis companies or you know cannabis products. So they technically don't know how to price the risk. So if they don't know how to price it, they price it high because you know, and then they will adjust from there, right? So if you don't know what people are going to sue you for and how much they're going to sue you for and what your financial exposure could really be because there's no claim history it's hard to price something and that's kind of how it happens so that's that's kind of but product liability suits have been you know a big part of like the um you know kind of a lot of the news that you read about the insurance industry but there haven't been any like really big major calamitous type of claims in the industry um, it's it's been limited. It's been limited. I think that's going to change. I think you in over the next five years we're going to have a lot of different types of you know claims. I mean, why is that? Because there's so many more businesses. You know, like I think that there's going to be a lot of bankruptcies. There's going to be a lot of fraud. I think there's going to be a lot. I you know the way that I describe it is I look at this industry as like it's going to be littered with landmines. You know. There's always going to be, you know, someone that's just not qualified to be doing business. They think it's, they think they got it right. And, you know, there's, look at the guys from like MedMen, you know, MedMen was like a, like a household, you know, cannabis name. They were trying to be like the Apple store of like cannabis retail. Right. But they were like fraudsters, you know, they, you know, I don't know if you read this, but like, their insurance, uh, their ins they had an insurance carrier that I can't remember what the insurance product was. It, it might have been DNO, it might have been property insurance. But the guy, one of the CEO, the CEO had um, his house as like collateral for the insurance policy, and he like he like he you know defaulted on it, and this insurance company in Europe was going after him for his house essentially. <laughs> um, they came they went they went they you know committed kind of fraudulent acts is what my kind of you know impression is of it and so okay granted what whatever they did something wrong and they're out of the business but now they're back into the business and someone funded them again and now they're they got another hundred million dollars and they're going to invest and do something different so it's like you know, people have short memories and I'm not saying like that's where it's going to, you know, kind of live. It's going to be like people that are repeating mistakes, but I think there's, there's that. Um, and I think one of the things that I, this is actually a recent trend that I've been kind of thinking about a lot. And I've, I've gotten some agreement across the board is that if you look at the ecosystem companies that are like growing in the cannabis industry, like 
there's specs, there's MSOs, there's a lot of like aggregating of like disparate companies and putting them together, right? The SPACs and the MSOs alone, that's like the majority of the activity in the market, you know, and there's a lot of M&A, like look at uh, today, Green Lane uh, packaging company out of Florida acquired their competitor, Kushko Holdings out of SoCal. So oh, did not know that. Solid, yeah, yeah, that was a big one. Kushko had some major problems, like they're, you know, just look at the stock to find out how, you know, they had some issues, management issues. It was kind of a little bit of a distressed company. Um, but, you know, consolidation, like today, you know, and every day, you know, it feels like every day for the last couple of weeks. Anyway, point being is that you've got, just take the MSO model, right? Let's leave, SPACs are a whole other thing. Let's take the MSO model. You know, um, you know, you've got like a company that will combine four or five different companies into one in multiple different states, right? So you've got a vertically integrated, you know, multi-state model where you've got a bunch of different business models, a bunch of different rules. There's just, it's, it's hard to even keep track of like where, you know, you know, where the risk is. But I think one of the issues is people are putting extremely high growth expectations on all of the metrics at all these companies. Um, if you look at like some of these acquisitions, they, they're just throwing, hey, 50% this year, 100% next year, 100% the year after that. And people just kind of eat up the numbers. Like, oh, of course, it's, you know, if they say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Cannabis is going through the roof. Like, it's going to happen. But I think those expectations are probably way too lofty. Um, and I, you know, and I would say a lot of people would agree with that. And why does that matter? It's because the valuations of these companies. And what's going to happen is you're going to have breakups, you're going to have lack of performance, you're going to have earnings hits, you're going to have debt issues, you're going to have, you know, so there's going to be a, a litany of like issues that I believe will come to these companies to haunt them for the model, not to say that the model is bad, but I think the model just carries a lot of risk. So when you're putting disparate parts together and trying to make them work as a, you know, as a cohesive unit, it's difficult. And when you put large expectations in there for the performance of that, like any hiccup, you know, the market will make you pay for it. If you're a public company, you like, you know, if you, if you don't hit those numbers and if it looks like there's a, a crack in the levy, they'll, they'll make you pay for it. Stock will be down 20% in the blip, right? Um, but I think a lot of these guys don't really care because the owners are like, Hey, if it's hundred percent or if it's 30%, I'm still getting 20 million bucks. Like, I don't care, you know? So I think a lot of them have like made so much money that like, they don't have the same, you know, kind of cost. They don't really care as much. And that, that's, that's anecdotal. Um, but I've heard that directly from some companies where they like, you know what, they put lofty expectations. They don't hit them. It's fine. They're still going to walk away with their golden parachute, you know? So, um, anyway, I kind of digress a little bit. I didn't touch on, um, uh, crop insurance. I'll touch on that one like very quickly because I don't have a lot of information. It's a very, uh, it's a very difficult market. It doesn't really exist. Um, from the conversations, you, there, there are, there is a way to acquire it, but it's very difficult. Um, I had a, a friend who has a, uh, I have a friend who owns a farm up in uh, Astor Farms up in Northern California. It's like a, you know, organic, uh, great um, cannabis farm. Uh, and they have, they actually have the coolest cannabis derived product that I think that I've seen is they have a olive oil, cannabis infused olive oil, eight milligrams per tablespoon. 
family, I believe, owns a olive farm nearby. So they make like olive oil. But anyway, uh, this guy from Astor Farms, you know, he's like, if you want to retire as an insurance professional, he's like, I would find a way to do wildfire and crop insurance and <laughs> open an office up here in North Cal, you would never want for money again. So there's, a, there's an incredible amount of demand for wildfire and crop insurance um, for, for companies in this industry. It just, it's just, it's touchy. I think where they're getting coverage, but it's kind of like ancillary coverage. They'll get coverage for like the property and the equipment if there's like a, you know, an issue or, you know, if there's like a windstorm that like will damage, you know, this, so there is like ancillary coverage around it. But uh, in terms of like firm, like crop insurance, I think what's going to happen with that industry, that part of the industry is um, you'll get like a farming coalition in Northern California or like a, some sort of industry, association that aggregates the interests of all of the farmers and provide some sort of insurance company, you know, insurance solution through that in like a group form. And sometimes that's captive insurance, like group captive insurance. Uh, and sometimes it's subsidized insurance or program insurance. Uh, but I think that's kind of the route that that will go when it, when it develops more fully. Gotcha. All right. Okay. I'm getting my insurance education going right now. Let me yeah. ask you, Kevin, what in the industry, insurance or not related at all to insurance, what are you most excited about these days? Hmm. Most excited in, in the cannabis space? Hmm. Uh, besides the performance of my own personal stock portfolio, um, I, that which everybody would, what am I most excited about? I would say new products that are kind of different from the existing cannabis products. I think like uh, like liquid products, for instance, um, things that make it easier to kind of ingest, you know, cannabis and kind of treat it like like uh, like like tinctures. Like that's something that I think is is starting to you know kind of develop a little bit more broadly where. Uh, you know, the social environment can be replaced by like, you know, a THC, you know, beverage versus, you know, you know, a beer, you know, or smoking, right? So I think that like the new product part of the market is most exciting uh, to me, because I think that I think there's a lot of messages to attach yourself to in the cannabis industry. And I, you know, one that's kind of personal to me is like the kind of social construct around like alcohol and, you know, U.S. consumption, such a problem with like violence and accidents and, you know, you name it, you know, people are getting drunk and doing stupid things across the country and people are dying every day. I mean, how many people are getting high and killing somebody or getting high and, you know, driving off a cliff, you know, it's just, it's a different, and I think social responsibility uh, is on the cusp of like shifting. And I think as it's easier for people to consume, uh, I think that's gonna, you know, kind of change how like the society kind of works a little bit. This is very like, you know, hippie pie in the sky, you know, but I think there's a responsibility that a number of these cannabis companies, you know, believe in. And they're kind of like, we know that, you know, there's an issue here. People are drinking too much and cannabis, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's never good to replace one drug with the other, but, you know, the world needs to chill a little bit and, you know, cannabis can help them do that. Alcohol is not helping them do that. So I think like, 
any way that like makes it more socially acceptable to ingest, you know, cannabis uh, or things that are replacing, you know, kind of excessive drinking, you know, like, you know, I've been a big drinker before, like, it's a very, it's an exhaustive have exhausting habit, you know, like to keep to keep your buzz going, you know, cannabis, it's like, usually, you know, a little dab will do you and you're good for like half the day, you know, and it's like, you know, so I think like, like I said, ease of access for new types of products to make it like a, a more social issue, like a social like revolution type of issue or make it really exciting. That's a little boring, but that's what I think. I don't know. I, I like that hippie pie in the sky type stuff. That's more more in my lane. Can't we all just get along? You know Exactly. Every, everybody <laughs> needs to chill. What better way to chill than to, you know, just puff, puff and pass. Kevin, let me ask you about what is a common misconception or misunderstanding about business insurance that you know is not true? Common misconception about business, ins- cannabis business insurance, correct? Doesn't doesn't have to be cannabis specifically. Could be anything. Could be um, general. Okay. Um, a misconception about business insurance. Um, it doesn't always have to be painful. I think insurance is something that a lot of people like want to ignore, you know, like a bill collector, you know, they just want it to be done and, you know, be on its way. So I think generally, like, if you think about it like that, if you're buying it like that, you'll never have a good experience with it. But if you view it in a way that you're actually financing the risk to your company, if you can put a number on the risk that, you know, you're trying to get insurance for, like, what's your risk management process? So I think if you're like, if you're just thinking about it, like, I just want it to be done and get it away. Like, you're going to have a bad experience. You're going to, you're going to do it wrong, probably. But if you engage someone to help you finance, what is that perception of the risk that you have on your company? You know, it's, it's definitely more rewarding experience if you're, you know, if you know that you're spending your money more appropriately, because I think right now, you know, people are kind of like, you know, they, here's an example. I was engaging with a cannabis company this week and they were, you know, saying, you know, saying, Hey, you should move your, you know, you move to Marsh as your broker record, you know, we can do X, Y, Z. And they were like, you know what, you know, we'll move to you, but the cannabis market's so tight. We think that you're going to get the same exact, you're going to be, give us the same exact results as the other guy, because the market's so tight, like I mentioned before, and the options are limited. But, you know, I explained to this person, I said, look, I mean, we are doing things differently. We're thinking, you know, abstractly, we are accessing Bermuda, we're accessing London, we're writing um, you know, we're writing, uh, you know, captive insurance policies. We're thinking differently about it. We're trying to, you know, if you, if you try to put it into a box, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. But if you try to think like abstractly and kind of thoughtful about like the risk and, and how you can actually, you know, better your company through, you know, thinking about broader options and then, yeah, you can, you can have a better experience. So, um, you know, that's good. It's kind of like one of the things that we do kind of good is exhaustively, you know, explore every potential option for a company. And I think that lends really well 
to the insurance space because like I said at the beginning like it's always kind of a it's not a fun thing it's kind of a you know a boring bad experience but I think like if you if you embrace it and know what you're paying for instead of just saying just go do it make it go away as a business owner as someone who's paying you know writing the check for the premium you know you'll feel better about it if you're connected to it and understand it versus just letting someone else do it and hopefully it goes away so Right. So I'm hearing as a business owner, when you have ownership in the process and actually are involved and know what it is you're signing up for, it feels a little better making that payment as opposed to, you know, that bill collector chasing you down and, and, you know, another liability. So another liability, good, good, uh, good use of the word. I'll I'll be here all week. Thanks folks. Uh, Kevin, I want to ask you last question, and then we'll shift into some coaching, which is what advice do you have for entrepreneurs or investors that are looking to get into the cannabis space? Um, I mean, I guess uh, for investors, you know, I, you know, I would, you know, like, like the Warren Buffett model, understand the company. And if you understand the company and you believe in it and you think that their story is valid and all the, you know, the ducks line up, buy it and watch it and understand it and follow it. You know, as an investor, you can't just kind of buy GameStop and hope that you're going to get diamond hands. You know, it's like that's that's like the kind of the short sighted view of investing. I think if you understand something and you believe in it. Uh, and follow it, you know, that's kind of the the core of, you know, making an investment, right? So if you're an investor and you're looking to buy a stock, you know, really understand the company and read it. There's a lot of information out there. Uh, and there are ways to kind of win. And I think with cannabis, like you can kind of, kind of take a shotgun approach right now and buy a lot of the different companies because most of them are undervalued and going to grow over time. So I think, uh, you know, kind of buying broadly and then, you know, looking at specific stories to understand to like kind of overweight the positions that you like. So if you're an investor looking to buy stocks, that's how I would look at it. Kind of buy broadly, you know, in a, you know, in smaller quantities and then kind of load up on a couple of bigger stories, um, like, like a couple that we've talked about. Um, so yeah, as an investor, that's kind of how I approach it. Um, and then you said other, the other one was as a, a an entrepreneur. Yeah. So, I mean, I heard something a couple, like a long time ago where it was like someone, you know, called into a radio show or something like that. Maybe not a radio show. So they were on TV or something and they said, oh, I want to like get into cannabis right now. I got to do it right now. I got to like rush into it. I don't want to miss it. You're not missing it. Like we're in the first inning here. Like, I think this is gonna, my opinion is this story, uh, you know, in Wall Street, we call it a secular growth trend. Secular means long-term, right? And we think this is a, I think this is a secular uptrend for, you know, 20 plus years, if not forever, you know, there, there, it'll become cyclical as, you know, as it evolves. But I believe as, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, you have to believe that this is a long-term story, not a short-term story. And in so, you know, you can build the right, you know, the right product at the right time, not just like do it now and do it fast. Because, I mean, like the example I usually say is like, because I call it the green wave. I think the green wave is going to be, you know, here for a long time. We're going to be, I'm hopefully going to be riding it for the rest of my career. I don't plan on moving into a different adjacent business, but it's like, if you opened a 
you know, a cat, you know, if you open a tequila in 2021, you could be a billionaire by 2023. And that's tequila. That's been around for hundreds of years, thousands of years, probably. So it's like, I think cannabis, while it's much different than alcohol, I think when you're talking about human consumption and demand for a, you know, a drug like alcohol or cannabis, there's always going to be an opportunity to do it right. So I think, you know, buying the, as an investor, I think involving yourself in a number of different companies and believing in some stories specifically, and then like as an entrepreneur, doing it right, not doing it fast. Don't think that you have to like take the back door or the shortcut to get rich fast. It's like build a business like anyone else and, you know, and, and do it over time. Absolutely agree with you, especially on the entrepreneur side. It's exactly what I'm preaching in the cannabis business book, which nice. is available on Amazon and now on Audible. If you want to hear me read the book to you as a bedtime story, you can pick up the audio book. But I, I say the exact same thing that this is not going to go away. Cannabis has been around for thousands of years and there will always be demand for cannabis. It's only going to grow for the foreseeable future and beyond. And, you know, today actually is a, a special day. New York legalized adult use cannabis. So, you know, when you talk about taking the long approach, I'm like, you know, seven years ago, I was waiting for today and it took seven years. And the question I asked myself today was, wow, what are things going to look like seven years from now? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's incredibly exciting. And it's also, you know, it's incredible for me to reflect on, wow, it's been seven years. Time flies when you're having fun. But like you, you know, when I got into this, I said, this is going to be what I do for the rest of my career because cannabis will be there and it's going to grow. So, you know, I think it's a wonderful place to be. And I, I agree with your sentiment. And with that said, Kevin, I want to shift into a little bit of coaching. So I'm curious, what is the biggest business buzzkill you're facing right now? Uh, biggest business buzzkill is uh, the, the lack of, or the, the lack of a progressive thinking in an industry like insurance, you know, it's almost like, you know, you've got all the money to be able to put to make a market more efficient, but then you've got one kind of powdered wig in the corner of the office that's calling it the devil's lettuce and saying the government's going to get us and, you know, everyone's going to get high and it's a gateway drug. It's kind of like, you know what, the market has spoken. Like, that is a buzzkill to me because it's like, this is not, that's not real, you know, so there's still powdered wigs, old school folk that think that, you know, I can't think of a rational explanation why like alcohol is okay and cannabis is not. And that is making it harder for people to do business, making it harder for people to do efficient business. That's a buzzkill to me. You know what? That's a buzzkill to me too, man. I, yeah. I, I don't come across it so much in my personal efforts, but you know, to hear that, it, it reminds me that there's still very much a stigma against cannabis. And that's very real. And some people, you know, I, I was watching the Senate hearings yesterday, and hearing some of these politicians arguing against the New York bill was phenomenal to hear, you know, that side of the story. Yeah. And 
I don't know, you know, I think it, your situation that you described is tricky because it's one thing to have the old guard and to have people that don't really get it. Yeah. But it's another thing when those people make the decisions in your corporation and are sitting, you know, in the highest levels. I'm not sure that there's, you know, much I can do or say or, or coach you on in that situation other than maybe, you know, get one of these people to try cannabis and, and see that it's not so bad. But, you know, I, I'm not going to advocate for that or, or advise you to do that. No, well, I let me let me change what I'm going to say then. If I if you there's a if that's uh yeah that's too that's too tall of an order that's too big of an yeah. issue. Yeah, like, even I can't help you with that. Nobody can do nobody can do that. <laughs> you need you need somebody to like lock someone in a room to you know shake them and say hey you know this isn't what it is. But um big so ask me the question again. So I'll ask a little differently this time, which is what is your the biggest challenge or roadblock you're facing today in your business? Um, yeah, I would say um, finding, finding uh, you know, unique ways to differentiate, you know, what I can do for someone versus the next guy. And then you could, and it doesn't have to be specific to insurance or, you know, it's kind of like a sales, like engagement question. It's like, there's, you know, I can sometimes struggle to differentiate, you know, how do I show them that I'm different type of thing? That's, that's what I struggle with. Gotcha. So how, how do you stand out in a crowded or tight marketplace? Yeah. And so what I'll offer you, you know, I'm tempted to ask you, well, Kevin, how do you stand out? But, you know, <laughs> Because we're running low on time, I'm going to skip ahead. I'm going to seed that question without having you answer it. But I will reflect to you that what I heard earlier from you was that you guys take a more thoughtful approach and, and really find ways to bring innovative solutions to your clients. So I'm wondering, how can you take that same approach to whether you want to call it your sales or your positioning or what might that look like? Yeah, I guess it's, uh, it's just about, you know, marketing and communication and, you know, things like that. And, you know, doing, uh, you know, promotional events like, uh, <laughs> like podcasts. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, once the, it's a little bit big, like I think Marsh, given how big we are, we have a responsibility to serve this market. Right. And I think uh, we are doing the market a little bit of a disservice by being behind our competitors because we are the largest, you know, insurance broker in the world. We're number one, you know, so we can't be a laggard. We have to be a leader. Right. So I think we have a responsibility to be progressive and to be supportive uh, and to be a part of the marketplace. Right. So I think, you know, organizationally, we're, you know, we're getting there. It's taking time. You know, like I said, there's a lot, it's, it's, it's difficult, but, uh, you know, over time, I think, uh, you know, we'll be able to get it right. Um, but I do think that there is like a responsibility uh, on behalf of those in power to act, you know, in accordance with, you know, what the market is dictating. This is a free economy here, you know, and, um, you know, if you look at the insurance business and, you know, the, we have in, we have, <laughs> Legally speaking, we have a, uh, uh, 
I guess you could call it an environment of de facto legalization right now. You've got state by state by state by state. There's so much exposure to the industry um, if it were to be, you know, you know, targeted by the government or if they try to break certain, you know, walls down that have been put up. It's, it's not too big to fail, but it's in that category. It's too the impact would be too calamitous and the reasoning for, you know, so I think even though we don't have federal legalization, we have a kind of an, like we're in like a phase of like de facto legalization where the government will not do the things that everyone is worried about them doing. They're gonna deschedule, they're not gonna, they're gonna put in the coal memorandum. Like all these things are actually happening and I think until it's official, people aren't really going to be able to act. But I think, uh, you know, I think we're getting close to that. And I think it's an interesting point about the too big to fail, where maybe we're not quite there yet. But I think it's only, you know, give it another couple of years and it will be, especially mm-hmm. as, you know, New York is now going to come online. And in my judgment, that's like, one of the last big dominoes, you know, now we just need Texas. And then it's like, all right, come on, federal government. And and then, you know, what, what I've seen a lot of lately is the international industry is really developing quickly. And I think that that's, especially for a marsh, that's the big opportunity is this isn't just the US, give it a few years, you know, five, 10 years from now, this is going to be global too big to fail huge interconnected industry so you know there's even talk of china being like uh you know a cbd growing market you know imagine that that you know happened i don't you know i talked to a guy that's kind of supportive and participating in that i don't see it but like i think i think eastern europe and jamaica are more likely to be like you know robust export markets but yeah i mean i talked to a couple guys in the bc area in europe that is a you know that's a sleeping giant there too uh, I think we are going to see a lot of similarities over in Europe, um, you know, to what's happening in the U.S. right now is, you know, they kind of break it open. Got it. So maybe, maybe the best thing for you is to just keep riding that wave right now and just, just be patient, you know, because, yeah. hey, it took me seven years for, for New York to, to finally come around, but, you know. I know, I felt, you were the first person I thought of when I saw that. Uh, Neil, my one of my attorney buddies, he sent me, he's like, oh, just passed in the, you know, you know, and I was like, oh, that's fantastic. And I thought of Mike and I'm like, oh, we're getting on tomorrow. I was like, it's perfect timing. That's like such a, a big moment. Cause I think New York is like, even though it technically doesn't make a difference nationally, it does. You know, I think it's like a, you know, it's a moral victory. It's like a, the direction of the world, the direction of the country you know, generally follows the heartbeat, right? New York is the heartbeat. It's the center of uh, the universe and definitely the United States. So um, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully they, they keep getting it right and, uh, you know, others follow. But yeah, I mean, I've talked to a bunch of people that think like, oh, once New York goes, you know, I think we're past that once New York goes. I'm like, it's great that New York's gone, you know, but we're, we're past that. It's like, finally, now New York is gone. You know, I, like, I agree with you. I th- I'm like, finally, we caught up with the program. <laughs> and I think there there is truth to, you know, there's still, it's amazing. I'm constantly reminded that there's still so many people who have been afraid 
and on the sidelines and still view this as like, uh, I don't want to say niche, but more like, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but you know, fringe, there you go, fringe industry. And they're like, oh, well, this isn't like a real thing. And I think now a lot, I, I think the New York shift will, will bring even more people to say, oh, hey, like, I should pay attention to this industry. This is a real thing, yeah, which is like yeah. mind blowing to me that people don't don't get that yet. But you know, it's going to take time for everybody. Like I said, there's a lot of powdered wigs in corner offices that are, you know, still calling the devil's lettuce, waving their cane. You know, it's like I can't believe that there's still a lot of people in the United States like that. But it's a diverse. It's a, you know, it's like the South is going to take a while, right? Like if you look at someone like the. You know, some of the stuff that's like, you know, that Georgia, for instance, like puts in there, you know, oh, this, it's like, it's not, it's not relevant to the rest of the industry. They're so far behind in terms of like what things they've approved for medical facilities. It, it just, there's a huge, there's a lot of disconnects. There's a lot of like learning to do. Um, so it, it's going to take time, but, you know, overall, we'll, it's going to still be state by state um, for a while. Yep. And Kevin, I, I don't know if this is, you know, helpful, but what I'll offer as, as a response to your question or, or your challenge is that, you know, what I've found is the best way to differentiate, especially in the tight market, and especially when you're playing that long-term game, like, like we discussed, is just, just get results and just be consistent. And then eventually people will, will, will figure out for themselves you know, who's who and what's what and, and can separate the, the wheat from the chaff. So uh, that's my two cents there. I'll take it. I'll take the advice. And, uh, you know, it's good to have that afforded time to do it. And I think uh, like it's good. It's a long game. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show and chat with me about the wonderful world of cannabis insurance. Yeah. And yeah, man. Watch for the Claim Act, the CLAIM. It's part of the Safe Banking Act. That's the one thing we didn't cover. That's what's going to open up insurance. The Claim Act is like for insurance, what the same Safe Banking Act is for uh, insurance. That's what we need for the pass. So nice. What, what what do you think is the the timing on that? Do you, do we Hopefully see that this, this year? Whenever the say like summerish within the next few months, three or four. Ideally, I'm still thinking sometime in 2021, but um, you know, I think uh, over the summer it has to just get. It's out there, um, but it uh, just has to get voted on. Awesome. All right. Well, Great. you heard it here, folks. Watch out for the Claim Act. It's not yeah. just about the safe banking. We need those <laughs> those good claims coming in, too. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach.